it was like ghosty if, if i do this boss this is before it even happened if i do this boss you can't tell david it was already like just keep him off me get the shield up get the shield up ghosty <laughs> today it's a volatile topic there's going to be some heated discussion there's some difference of opinion already amongst us three and a bigger difference of opinion out there in the chess world is a 10 move draw ever okay and just to start us off i'm going to read a tweet and this is from mr dodgy friend of the dojo he says every 10 move draw ever in the history of chess is fixed just because you fix by winking instead of asking beforehand doesn't make it better now <clears throat> The people being upset about draws has been going on for a very long time. In this case, he is responding to a GM named Kevin Goh from Singapore who has helped uh, popularize chess there. And then there was a tournament there. There was some draws, some 10 movers, you know. And one of the things that we're definitely getting into is the generational difference between uh, the old school where draws were very uh, common and then the newer school of people, especially who just joined, who think that it's like criminal, <laughs> absolutely criminal to have draws. And one thing that's interesting in our group between David, Kosi, and I is that Mr. Proust, David, was one of the first people to get religious, to get religion on this matter and really go after some people. He came after me too. And so I'm just gonna begin with a confession. So, so wait, so Kostya calls me a fascist and now you're going to call me a religious fanatic, huh? Well, no, but you just got religion on this issue, okay? You got religion on this issue. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm just saying you you got you were one of the first to get religion on this issue of, of higher rated players to get religion on this issue. And I, I would say- I didn't mean fascist literally, okay? It's content. We're doing a <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and to <laughs> date it, I think Mr. Bruce's religion, I would say it, it came to my attention uh, 2004 or five around there. Then it got more heated with every year that passed. So let me just tell this tale, David, and it's just a confession. And you're gonna be really pissed. And in fact, when it happened, I told Kosia, I was like, listen, Kosia, you can never tell this to David. That's true. If he said finds that. out, we're in big, big trouble. Okay. But I'm just decided enough time has passed. And I believe that sometimes in honesty, there's more interesting things happen in your life when you're just honest. Sometimes just terrible things are going to happen when you're honest. Probably the latter today. Okay. So here's the story. Uh, I played at the U.S senior this Irwin event and it was a qualifier to um the u.s senior closed and so in a lot of the events where people get mad there's where there's draws is maybe somebody's getting an unfair advantage say in getting a norm so uh, in my case there is there was definitely something at stake also in my case i had already qualified but i was very determined to win the tournament you know, in, in my head, it's, you know, when I play a tournament, almost any tournament, I'm not, I'm, I'm interested in the rating points for sure, but I love, you know, the big prize to me is to win the tournament. Okay. So it's uh, round five. There's six rounds of this tournament. And I had won all four rounds. So I'm in clear, clearly in the lead. I think I'm a full point ahead. And I'm going to be playing John Fedorowicz, who was one of the greatest players back in the 80s, but is known now to not have the energy 
to really be a big fighter and is often making draws, often with players far beneath him. He'll offer a draw quite early in many cases. Now, one of the things culturally that's important to understand about this event is it's a senior event, people over 50. So everybody at this event who is a higher rated player knows the culture of old. And so let me just describe to you this culture. Back in the day, before computers, there was a hierarchy of players. We've talked about this on the podcast before. It's very hard for modern players to understand, but there was a respect given to the players above you. And there was a kind of respect given to those who you felt you were your equal. So very often, when players of equal rank were playing against each other, out of a kind of mutual fear, they gave draws. And this happened all the time. And sometimes it was even before the game, they were like, you know, are we really gonna play wink, wink? You know, and here's the thing I really wanna stress about it. The people making draws didn't do themselves any benefits, right? It was just the culture of the time. And a lot of times it would even feel like you were disrespecting a player if you didn't agree to their draw. And if they were higher rated, and if they had white, and you said no, that felt kind of weird. Nowadays, it's just harder to, for people to even understand. Like, as you saw in this tweet, Mr. Dodgy doesn't understand this older culture at all. Okay, so <laughs> before the round starts, before I even mention it, uh, Kostya's like, so you can take the draw. I don't know what happened like that when we were just hanging out. Ghost is playing in the U.S. Open, which is running concurrently. And he's like, are you going to take the draw? Yeah, and no, I, I was I was expecting Fed to offer you a draw because he was exactly. he was white in that game. He was white, right? And uh, uh, nothing against him. He seems like a very nice guy. But I feel like I've yeah. seen him take a lot of quick draws, even in that event he was doing. He's done so. a lot of quick draws. And of course, for me in that circumstance, they get have black and I'm a full point ahead in the tournament to get a draw, well, kind of thank you very much, right? So I'm just admitting this now to Proust, okay? I'm just admitting it. We're friends. We might not be friends anymore, but I got the score sheet right here, Bows. We did 14 moves, okay? 14 moves. I kind of equalized me, might've tried a little bit of opening, schmo opening with me, you know, and figured it, does he have the juice? But you're playing a game like that, he has, dude didn't have the energy. Now, should I have played on? Maybe. But do I feel like it was morally bad of me to not play on? No. Do I feel that maybe as a, if I had like, let's say the growth mindset and for my own personal development, do I want to make an argument that I should have maybe played on? That would be the area for me to play on. But as someone from this old school, I had no moral complaints about taking this draw early at all. Now, if you want to say, Jesse, you need to stop it, then the rules need to say that you got to play at least 30 moves. I've played in many tournaments like that. Fine. And I had no problem playing in tournaments like that. But if the rules are set out as they are, and I'm trying to win a tournament, well, I'm going to take a draw, you know. All right, Mr. Proust, just, just give me all your fire, boss. Just, just pound me. I'm ready. Give it to me. Will David condemn? <laughs> oh, he's definitely going to okay. condemn. And I don't know. I don't. I don't feel that worked up. I mean, you should have played the game, probably. Uh huh. But that's a bit of a luck. All yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs>
But let's just make clear. In Jesse's case, it was a quick draw. It wasn't a prearranged draw where Fed goes up to him before the game and it's like, hey, let's make a draw. That was right, like... No, he, paid, he paid Kostya to do it. I understood. I understood. <laughs> he, asked, he asked me if Jesse would be amenable to a draw. Like, I'll do what I can. I... <laughs> Wait, hold on though, Bruce. I know that your feelings are stronger than this because when I made a draw in a mildly similar circumstance with nothing at stake against Sarkar, oh, it was 2010. It was also <laughs> black. And then you went ballistic on me, dog. So either maybe you've changed your point of view or... I don't know. I didn't, I didn't. I didn't go ballistic. Oh yeah, dude, you went ballistic on me, man. You went ballistic. No. I was disappointed. I didn't like yell at you in person. You yelled at me in public. <laughs> Even better, Buzz. He yelled at me in public. I mean, <laughs> I mean. Okay, what do you want me to say? Um, I don't know. I'm just trying to flesh out your opinion. You know, that's all. I mean, I wouldn't have taken a draw with Fedorowitz in your position for many reasons okay here's the question then was it morally wrong it's essentially a 10 move draw as mr dodgy is now saying that's that's a complicated question i mean it's it's bad for you it's bad for fedorovich it's bad for anyone chasing you in the tournament it's bad for chess so in the sense that you're doing something that's bad for every buddy involved you could if you wanted to be like stringent about morality uh -huh. You could say that that's like a bad thing to do. Um, How is it bad for Jesse? I mean, it was helping him qualify, you know, to the U.S. senior or win the tournament, you know. Because um, he is weakening himself by doing it. He's giving in to, you know, personal weakness. And the way you build strength or weakness is in repeated habits. But do you okay, also but have... Um, I just want to clarify. Do you have an issue in other sports like in, in soccer, football? It's a big thing to like run down the clock when you're ahead. In American football, it's a big thing to like, you know, run the ball or even take a knee. Like you don't even try to advance the ball. You literally take a knee to just completely reduce all possible risk and make sure, you know, in basketball, they stall the clock. Like I feel like it's a normal thing in sports, right? Is this not similar if you're trying to win a tournament? Yeah. Yeah, it may be sort of similar, but like basically, well, you're asking me multiple things at once, but, um, but, but I mean, it's within the strict legal rules of the competition, what Jesse did, right? So it's not something that I think anyone could take him to court for, um, but I don't think it's, Personally, I don't think it's like sporting for anybody who's who's chasing you, right? So I think in the sense where there's like a sportsmanship versus like a strict rules of a competition, um, I would say it's not particularly sporting. Okay, right. dude. I'm a little surprised. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hold it back on me. Well, no, but like, but you understand what I mean? Like somebody who's like a point behind Jesse and is trying to catch him, catch up with him. Like in theory, he should have some chance of losing the game. Right, dude, yeah. By playing, I guess, you know, like he should make, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of moves till a game comes to an end. Again, I mean, there isn't a consensus around this, right? So that's part of the problem, right? Like if, if there were a consensus, mm. then it would be more clear than what Jesse then it'd be more clear that doing this was was wrong, right? 
Um, but, but I would certainly be uh, militating for a consensus that would condemn this and then ultimately like everyone would stop doing it. I knew we would have some militia in here after a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, let me, okay, let me, let me, let me amp it up a little bit. So this is a, a tale from the old times. Cause I, I know that a lot of our listeners will be on the side of Mr. Dodgy and just find it completely incomprehensible. So just to give you a taste of the old time culture, and this goes also to like norm events that we're going to talk about as well. So I was at a norm event ages ago, uh, 20 years ago, and there were the two. So let me just describe it a little bit. We have a round robin norm event. Usually there's about three GMs and you have to have a bunch of different nationalities there for it to work as a norm event. And this one old time GM, I think he's now passed away, great old Hungarian player, comes up to the other GM in the event in complete hearing of everybody else and says, so, so are you a fighter today? <laughs> you know, and it's just quite obvious. And the, it's kind of interesting because, you know, it was like out in the open, <laughs> not even like even trying to hide anything. And for the GMs in the event, right, like, well, you know, we're playing and we there's nothing really too much at stake. Maybe we're trying to win the tournament, but especially if it's a longer event, it would be nice to spare some energy. So that to me was the, the really interesting, like view back into way, the way it was. And that's definitely a prearranged draw. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of the legality of it, I maybe there's some rule that says you can't do that now, but at a certain level, there's not that much difference between the way that went down and the way it went down with me and Fed. You know, with me and Fed, yes, there was a position. I got to see a position and I could have decided to play on, for example. Right. But the I don't know, those two, they still feel mildly similar. I think there's levels to it. And I think that's really important to differentiate. Like there's quick draws and then there's prearranged draws, which in my right. opinion is worse. Because um, with a prearranged draw, it's like neither player has to prep. This was Fisher's big issue back in the day, right? Like all the Soviet players, they mm -hmm. it was just understood that they're not going to play against each other. So they don't have to waste energy prepping for each other, playing each other. They can all just focus playing against Fisher. That definitely just seems like absolute collusion. And that's way worse than if the Soviet players would play games against each other, take quick games against other people, you know, if it wasn't just all kind of prearranged. And then, of course, there's... Um, prearranged losses, like match fixing, when it mm -hmm. comes to prizes or norms, which to right. me seems clearly worse than prearranged draws. It just feels right. much more um, violent. And then I think we should also talk about just in general, like there's quick draws when they happen in high level events, which are bad for spectators. Then there's quick draws that happen in open events, which is less about the spectators, more about the top players just wanting to secure uh, a nice prize. Um, and then, of course, there's quick draws that happen in norm tournaments, specifically like round robin norm events, which are very common. And that's kind of a separate issue because that leads to people um, getting titles maybe easier than they would have otherwise. And obviously getting a title in chess is a big deal because that allows you, you know, to charge more for lessons, get all these opportunities. There's a very big financial incentive to getting uh, a title. But I feel like there is a distinction between you know, if two players are 
at a tournament and both of them are okay with a draw or the higher rated player he's feeling tired that day or they're feeling tired that day they offer a draw in the opening lower rated player accepts it like it wasn't pre-arranged at all just kind of happened in the moment um to me yeah that seems way way less of an issue than like uh pre-arranged like match fixing buying a norm like any of this other stuff so i definitely feel like there's levels to all this yeah, obviously there are degrees. Let me just say something about the draw versus win agreed in advance scenario. You know, we were just talking recently about how, you know, fighting for that, you were telling me from the Swindler's book, right? Like fighting for that half point from a bad position. It's a half point just the same way as fighting for a win from a drawn position gets you a half point, right? So... I, I I understand it feels very different throwing a game as a loss versus agreeing a draw. But in either case, if you're giving somebody points in a tournament standing in exchange for money, um, I think it's just a question of degree. It's not, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a question of how many points, but like if somebody needs half a point and they don't need a full point and they buy a half a point from you, I think it's kind of the same as buying a full point if what they needed was a full point. I don't see a very big difference there, although I understand it feels different, but I don't really. Well, let me clarify. So the, I think the real difference there would be not when someone's buying a draw, like for a norm. There, I agree. Whether you're buying a draw or buying a win, that's kind of the same thing if you're needing it for a norm. But it's more like for prizes. So if two players pre-arrange a draw, they get one prize, but it often happens that if one player loses to the other, then the player that wins that game, they get a higher prize than they would have if those two had just drawn, and then they, they share that prize. So in that case, they're like stealing more money from the rest of the participants by pre-arranging a, a result. Either, in either case, they're, they're working together to steal money from the others, and whether they've calculated that one person getting first prize or two people getting first and second shared or whatever they've calculated their maximum is, is just pragmatic details. Either way, they're defrauding their competitors. Yeah, yeah. But I, I do think there is some different. At least normally, like, yeah, you're going to be kind of taking more money. Um, but yeah, I think, okay, a lot of... Part of it is definitely the culture. There's definitely been a culture of draws, as Jesse said. I feel like there's also, there's definitely been a culture of um, fixing results in open events. Like I, I forget, I don't know who was involved, but I remember reading a story like in the 90s, there was like a whole circuit of players who would play all these top events like World Open, Chicago Open. And it was just understood that they would share prizes between each other. Um, and uh, obviously that's, that's wrong. I remember I was playing a tournament and um, I was playing my friend in the last round of the tournament. And it was definitely a situation where if one of us won, then we'd get a prize. If we drew that game, we'd both get nothing. And uh, we played, of course, and we, we ended up drawing. It was a very it was a very like back and forth game. I'm sure we were winning um, at one point and uh, each of us was winning at one point. And then when we drew that game, I remember the other players in turn were kind of laughing at us. For, for like not not throwing the game like like what are you guys doing like why wouldn't one of you just lose <laughs> now you both get nothing you idiots <laughs> so you know that's definitely like that's been part of the culture for for many years um so yeah should that change i mean i think in general yes um but uh yeah it's also when we talked about 
cheating a while back, I think I also made this point. So yeah, for me, like prearranging a result is bad. It's not as bad as cheating with an engine or cheating with assistance, or you're a club player and you have a grandmaster helping you during the game or whatever. Um, to me, that's, that's worse, even if both are going to be categorized as cheating. Yeah, and I just want to say on an emotional level, what's interesting to me about it is when I recall, like, let's say back in the day playing like the U.S. junior closed tournaments, there was all these Eastern European kids playing there who had the culture of the draw instilled in them very early. And so I was just feeding off of that cultural milieu when there was various draws that were happening all around me. Um, and I felt, of course, then no moral compunction about it because there was like, that's just what was done. Now, fast forward to today, where there are so many people who are angry about it, that I do feel like uh, it's what, what it, it's what, interesting about morality and culture is that I feel a little voice in my head being judged. And in fact, like the second coast just said it, I felt David's judgment just on me, bro. It just hot me, man. And so it was like, Ghost, if, if I do this, boss, this is before it even happened. If I do this, boss, you can't tell David. It was already like, just keep him off me. Get the shield up. Get the shield up, Ghost. You don't even let him do me, buddy. So I'm just saying that these questions of morality are so interesting because they've evolved, obviously. And I think now we are in a pretty, I would say, fervent state of non-draw culture and the gms now who made draws back in the day like before the rounds i definitely don't think that's happening anymore i just it would just take too much courage for somebody to be like yeah be audacious to come up to somebody before the round and be like do you want to draw because you're putting yourself and your reputation or whatever at risk from the davids mm -hmm. of the world who will attack you and then kill you um <laughs> So there is like this, uh, this moral shift, moral and cultural shift that's happened. It's mostly a good thing. Um, and I, to me, it's mostly a, a fascinating thing. Also, just the cultural difference that you can see uh, on Twitter, for example, in the quote I read at the very beginning, where some people are really livid about it. Yeah. And David isn't expressing himself too strongly now, but I guarantee you that it's it maybe something we should even talk about because David was one of the first to really feel strongly about it. I'm sure he saw some of that when he was coming up as a kid in California. Because the old timers, yeah, they were just doing draws all the time, you know, back in the big tournaments. Yeah, but I mean, there were people before who were also against it, right? Like you guys sent me an interview of uh, Simon Agdestein mm -hmm. and he was saying like, it's just cheating. And he's probably a few years older than me. Um, so yeah. that was interesting. Yeah, he was saying like how he he noticed certain grandmasters would openly uh, he was saying, oh, yeah, get drunk the night before the final game, like last game might be in the morning the next day. And they're like openly hanging out, you know, showing no uh, no interest in like prepping for the game uh, with with the implication that it was already prearranged. They just have to show up and make a quick right. draw and they don't have to worry about it. Right. So, so I don't think it's right to say that I'm one of the first. I imagine that ever since there have been short draws, there have been people who noticed that it was not right. I bet there's always been some people like me. Mm. Well, yeah, if you look at the top players like Magnus 
has taken very, very few quick draws in his career. The only one I can think of, like he had like a four-move draw against Vidit in some tournament because he was feeling sick, so he offered the draw. Um, Giri also, I think if you look at his at his games, very, very few short draws. Um, I think he's one of the But players. I mean, I'm saying like 100 years ago or whenever the first short draw was made, there was probably some dude who saw it and was mad or yeah. at least, you know, thought like, oh, what are these guys cheating at? You know, mm-hmm. um, Bogolubov, according to our chat, Bogolubov had a huge rage at Capablanca and Alakine for agreeing a draw in a position where there was uh-huh. plenty of play left. You know, London, nineteen twenty-two. So this goes back a hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things actually, I'll bring up a different kind of draw is precisely that kind of thing. And something I have done for ages, and it never felt like a moral problem to me, is let's say I'm playing, so especially let's say I'm playing a lower rated player and for whatever reason my position goes to hell. And um, maybe that player is under a little bit of time pressure. And then I do a gamesmanship thing. I'm like, well, boss, do you want to draw? And it it's like a, it's definitely a gamesmanship thing because then it throws this whole, in addition to having to think about the position, then they have to think about this offer. And I've learned even how to do it. You you need to do it in a position where they have a choice. <laughs> don't do it in a position where they don't have any choice. Don't do it on a forced move. Do it in a position where they have a choice and they have to think about it. And then so in addition to having the the you know the strict chess question in their mind, they have the draw question. So they can't they go like go down a road and they can't figure it out. They go down the other road, they can't figure it out. Then there's the third road, which is the draw. And then they can just take the draw, you know. So it has to distract them through a longer think instead of a quick. Yeah, gut. I've done that multiple times for the most part with grand success. But there's always in those all those positions there was plenty of play left. Yeah, no, Jesse, you offered me a draw in our last game, but it was on a forced move. It was like a recapture, um, and I like my position. So yeah, for me it was very easy. It's like no, I'm I'm better. Yeah. So I just you know played. That was my move. mistake in doing it on the. Yeah, yeah. but I have heard some people say the other way, like you offer a draw in a forced moment to see how confident they are. Because if they think for five uh, minutes, then that's a tell they're not super confident about play on. But I'm with you. I think if if you're trying to game <laughs> game the player, you should give them a wide choice. But it goes yeah. both ways. Lower rated players love to offer draws in positions where they're not better, mm-hmm. um, just to kind of mess with you a little bit and put a little bit of pressure. Um, especially, I've had many cases where, let's say they make a move, and it's clear from my body language or just from the context of the board, I didn't anticipate their move. The game is now going in a direction I wasn't expecting. And they <laughs> use that moment to like opportunistically offer me a drop, uh, you uh-huh. know, in case I might accept it, which I think is actually not a great idea because if there's still a play left, then I'm going to play. And if I'm lost, then I'll take the drop. But if I'm losing, you shouldn't be offering me a draw. <laughs> uh-huh. you, shouldn't be, you should just win the game. So, but okay, it goes both ways. Right, and we have a comment in chat I want to address. A terrible thing. Now, this goes to this is another thing that has totally to do with culture, but also the rules. Kids have a terrible thing where they will often offer a draw more than once. And this is where the old timers, this is where you can really get the old timers upset. So the old timers, again, this is the thing, it has to do a lot with hierarchy. And the hierarchy has been destroyed by the computer. We could talk about that more at a different time. But so first of all, if you are lower rated and you you you're not really in the old timers definition, you're not really allowed to ever offer a higher rated player a draw unless you stand better. 
right? Or it's complete, even if it's completely equal, it's actually the old etiquette is the higher rated player has to be the one to offer a draw. But then what the kids often do is they're so out of their nervousness and anxiety, they will sometimes offer a draw more than once in a row, not okay. And I think this is written down in the rules, but basically, right, if you offer, you legally you are allowed to offer the draw, if not by etiquette. And then the only time you can offer again is if I later offer you a draw and then you decline, but then later you could offer a draw. That's the only way it can happen, okay? Mm -hmm. So kids out there, do not, <laughs> do not offer a draw multiple times in a row. Except against Jesse, you can, because he also broke sportsmanship by agreeing to a draw with Fed. So See, we got Jesse, it. You There's the fire, Kostya. There's the fire I was knew was going to come yeah. out. Against Jesse, you can follow the letter of the law <laughs> because that's what he's chosen for himself. You can follow the letter of the law against him, which allows you to offer a draw every time you make a move. No, I think multiple draw offers are not allowed. You're allowed to, you can complain to the arbiter if someone's offering you multiple draws. Oh, yeah, there's something in the rules about it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's part of the. Mm -hmm distraction rules um and I, did say, um, and I didn't i didn't know any somebody did that to me once and i didn't know any recourse but yeah i think you can complain to the arbiter um but but yeah what usually happens with me and, and kids it's like they'll offer they'll offer a draw at some point and then they'll offer a draw if the position changes dramatically like if there's been some trades mm -hmm. but, it, but it's like no <laughs> yeah the full yeah. etiquette is still no but again, that's an etiquette that goes beyond the letter of the law, right? Yeah. Like there's, that's another place where there's a line, which is this is what you're allowed to do in the rule book, I'm sure. And it's different than what people's sense of the etiquette is yeah. or what's good sportsmanship or whatever. But okay, the multiple draws thing, that's kind of a separate, um, separate topic. Um, so I guess the question is, do you guys feel there's a difference between quick draws in like an open tournament where people are just playing for prizes versus quick draws in a specific um, norm event. Because there was this article recently, we put it up on, on Twitter by uh, Chess Essentials that um, was talking all about these round robin norm events and how they're pretty much infested with quick draws. Not every tournament has them, but they're very, very common. Because what, what will happen is you have three grandmasters or three IMs and then seven norm seekers and especially when the GMs are playing each other, the IMs are playing each other, they might not even be playing for anything. There might not be any additional prize fund. They probably have a fixed fee um, for appearing. And yeah, there's like very little incentive for them to play. So they're often making quick draws. But then you also get like GMs and IMs that make quick draws with some of the norm seekers. Some of the, some of the time it's straight up prearranged. Some of the times it's just the title player is tired and doesn't feel like playing. They don't want to face, you know, a hungry norm seeker and they just would rather offer a quick draw and take the rating hit. Um, so is that worse in norm events, I guess is my question, than let's say open tournaments where everyone's just kind of paying their own entry fee and is on their own? Yeah. I, I, I want mean, to add a little context to this one is that when Fisher complained about the Soviets doing it, First of all, they were they were throwing games. Okay, so it's important to say that it wasn't just draws; they were throwing games, and that in those tournaments, we're talking about uh, sometimes tournaments that had epic amounts of rounds, sixteen to twenty rounds. So in that case, let me just say, if you put me in a tournament like that, Bows, I'm going to take some draws. I am definitely going to take some draws because that's too long. And then with these 
norm events that are nine rounds, oh, I definitely want a draw or two in there because because nine rounds will kill an old dude like me. I mean that if I, if I especially if they go the distance, I have no chance to make it. Give me a breath, Bows. Let me come up for air just for a second, you know. Um, and because also they don't never allow the GMs to to take a half point by, you know, to sleep in. So a lot of and those are two rounds a day, oftentimes that are just absolutely insane. So I just want to add that context to that kind of thing for the experience of the older dude playing against all those young kids at that event, man. The guy needs a rest. The guy needs a rest, man. So that's part of it, too, that's going into this calculus. Right. So basically, there's obviously, you asked if there are differences between these different things. Obviously, there are differences between them, right? And some of them are like, you know, mild disrepute for the game and others of them are like actual fraud, you know, so it it, it has increments uh, for sure. All these different things as far as which are worse or not like those GMs, if they agree to draws with each other because they just don't want to play each other and there's no you know money or prizes or whatever at stake and they're just there to be like the examiners of the title seekers. In a sense, that doesn't matter to, as much, right? But when they agree a draw in the exact same tournament against a title seeker, now they're committing fraud on what does the title actually mean, right? Well, but but also think about it this way. Let's say I make a draw with Joe Schmo GM, and then the next round I'm rested up, dude, and I come in there and I'm like, you shall not pass. That's what I tell this I am kid. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, boss, now we're ready. I'm rested. Let's go. You know, that it's yeah, yeah. That could be like, that could be mild cheating against the norm seekers. Yeah. Yeah. The other part, I'll tell you the story. So I had a friend once who was doing really well in an open tournament and was on his way to a GM norm. And he had already beaten like maybe two or three GMs. So he was doing really well. And then he was offered a quick draw, not prearranged, but like during the game, like out of the opening against a higher rated GM. Uh, I think he was, I don't remember if he was white or black, but the dude was higher rated and offering him a draw. And afterwards, the guy told him, like, I don't think I could beat you in your current form. So he was straight up afraid of my friend. Mm-hmm. Like, and not like, you know what I mean? Like, for the other dude, it was more like, he didn't want to lose the game because he plays and this guy's just on fire and going to crush him. So he offers him mm-hmm. a quick draw. You know, my friend takes it. He's playing for a norm. And, uh, and yeah, so that's not... To me, that's not exactly like cheapening the title. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that's, yeah, to me, it's kind of a different um, a different situation. Um, but it's but, still, it's still not, it's still not right. Let me give you a parallel to that situation. Yeah. Imagine you're taking like the SATs and, well, I don't know if that's even still a thing, right? But you're taking some kind of standardized exam where the result matters mm-hmm. and you blaze through the first 20 problems and then the person who's the person who's proctoring the exam comes over to you and says, you know, you did great on those first 20 questions. I saw you just blazing through them. I don't even think you need to do the next section. I'm just going to mark it as like correct for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that that highlights some issues with the system. So one of the points brought up in this article on the, the round robin norm factories is that there there is some conflict of interest. You know, the people that run these events, they do want people to get titles and norms. That's kind of the point of these events. It's basically a business. So Mm -hmm. that encourages them to do things like invite title players that aren't going to crush everyone. Uh, You know, they don't they don't want GMs that are scoring seven out of nine 
in the tournament and, and then no one no one else gets the norm. Um, and I definitely agree with that point. Like there is a very clear conflict of interest uh, in that case. Also, there is examples of like organizers playing in their own events that happen to be like GM or IM and then giving a bunch of draws to the norm seekers, which like, okay, yeah, <laughs> clearly that's <laughs> that's kind of just, yeah, helping helping everyone. So to me, it feels, yeah, it's kind of an issue with like, with the regulations. Um, honestly, I was thinking about it, like if norm event, if round robins weren't a thing, if all we had was open tournaments or like closed events for the top players, and then someone was like, I want to do a closed event, but I just invite 10 specific people and there's norms on the line. For me, the first thought would be like, whoa, <laughs> like you're just trying to like fix your own event, right? With like, you know, the, invite exactly the players that you want. Um, and there have been right. cases where, where tournaments do that. I mean, like that's why I believe that's why they have this rule that you have to play against uh, people of four different federations in order to qualify for a norm. Because otherwise it'd be much easier to do an event where all 10 players are like from the same country or city or whatever, and they're all just throwing games to each other and, and everyone gets a title, um, which would obviously be, yeah. be bad. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, uh, no, it, it definitely feels like there's, there's an issue with, with these events, but not everything. I mean, I feel like people definitely kind of lump all these places in uh, with each other. Like, um, okay, St. Louis here, they've done a bunch of NOR events. I've never seen anything uh, you know, like illegal happening there. Charlotte does a bunch of NOR events. Like, I feel like generally they're, you know, very, very um, honest about what they do. Um, and even these events in like Hungary, uh, in Eastern Europe, you know, I, I think the fans that don't really know a lot, they just kind of see all these events as being uh, like, fixed or staged or, or dishonest or whatever but a couple things i want to say that number one tons of top players got their norms in these events like i'm pretty sure carlson played a bunch of like the budapest like first saturday events like rajaba like a lot of top players like just growing up play these events um i played in hungary once i didn't play first saturday but i played a similar gm norm event a couple of years ago i think it was in this place called balaton or balaton and um yeah, I mean, I mean, I had a perfectly cordial experience there. I have heard stories of organizers offering norm seekers the chance to buy norms, chance to buy other stuff while they were there. Um, when I was there, no one offered me to, to buy any games. And uh, I even played some of these players that are uh, listed in this article of like taking a bunch of quick draws. I played this Grandmaster uh, Attila Chebi from, from Hungary. Uh, who has taken a lot of quick draws. He didn't offer me a draw. In fact, we weren't playing for anything and he tried to beat me with black. Like he, he was like pressing for like several hours. And then afterwards we went and like analyzed the game. So I got zero indication that he's just there to just give a bunch of quick draws to people, right? So I feel like it is kind of unfair to just blanket categorize all these events as being um, like dishonest. But, uh, but yeah, the conflict of interest is clearly is clearly there. And there are some places that I imagine are much worse than others. Sounds like you were out of contention for Norm by that point. So maybe he couldn't have sold you a draw or anything. So maybe that's why it didn't come up. I was out of contention. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, 
from what I remember hearing, like this is offered before the tournament. You know, some the organizer goes up to you and it's like, mm, how many games do you want to buy? Yeah, part of the package. Right. right. Here's the event. Here's the hotel room. And here are which rounds you have prearranged results in. Yeah. Um, I played, uh, I played 20 years ago. I played a summer in Budapest, several tournaments, one of the greatest summers of my life. And yeah, I didn't see any cheating. And those tournaments were hard, dude. <laughs> I cut my teeth on those events, man. That was that was good chess for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I also want to say, okay, it's one thing to buy games for the title, obviously bad. Um, but people also had issues with like, okay, Mishra, for example, is a re recent one where he got his norms in Europe and people were saying like, oh, that that's not right. You know, Nepo wanted to change the rules. Um, and it's like all this stuff, but it's not that easy. If it was that easy, everyone would be a grandmaster. Like you still have to get the twenty five hundred fide, right? So it's not just like oh, super simple to go and get the title if you're uh, if you're uh, interested, right? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I think it's really not that um, not that straightforward. Let me let me say this. I want to say I want to say one thing before we end this. And um, yeah, this is. This is Cultural question I really want to stress. Something I often see on Twitter and other places is people saying things like, oh, Sarawan took all those draws back and that he's a cheat. The guy's a cheat. And there's a similar attitude towards other people who've given the draws. Now, Sarawan will talk openly about his experiences, and he's just telling stories. He doesn't even understand he's going to be judged for saying that he agreed to these draws. He has no idea. But out there in the world in this new anti-draw culture which i'm fine with having the anti-draw culture i just want those people to understand that this is a new culture and that back in the day what sarah Juan and others were doing was just part of the game you know and it wasn't like you, it wasn't even thought of as something bizarre it was just the way things were done so I, <laughs> the one strong stance i have okay is do not judge the players of the past for the culture they had. That was just a different culture. Same thing if you have a, a moral position which we've changed now. Let's say you're very uh, pro people coming out as homosexual. You can't judge the older generations, dude, because they had a different attitude towards homosexuality. It's the same kind of cultural shift that's happened in the chess world with draws. So I'm just begging, don't judge the older dudes. Yeah, but you also can't like fully excuse any crime of the past based on saying you don't know the culture might have been different back then or whatever right because another good example of somebody who was against draws way before me was bobby fisher right like he thought that people were colluding by conserving energy mm -hmm. uh and he was and he was against it so that's another historical example like way before and then even once he'd quit and was sort of like a raving lunatic one of the things that he was raving about was the draw culture so right. it's not like these people were agreeing to draws and they never heard of anybody suggesting <laughs> it wasn't a good thing to do, right? No, it is true that they found many like-minded people who participated right. in it with them, but there were also plenty of people who were against it. So it's not like they never encountered the perspective that it was wrong, mm -hmm. right? Like when people say, don't project your current morals on people who held slaves 250 years ago. Mm. But like you could go back 250 years and you could yeah. find people who'd written books about how you shouldn't have slaves. It wasn't like something that no one had ever encountered back then. 
Mm -hmm. right okay i i think so, that's totally fair but this just to put a historical memory on it though so let's say with the north south slave debate we're talking about half the country that was in arms about it by 1858 but yeah. with the chess culture like there was very few people there was i mean it was a distinct minority and in fact i will go and go ahead and say that in my personal experience I never encountered anybody that was until David. And that was David. It was in 2005 and six started the crusade. <laughs> and that was the first person I knew personally that went on a crusade. And yeah, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this show because right. David was here. And it was like, that was my personal memory. Like that's, that's the dude. That's the dude who first got mad about it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually interesting point. Also, there's a difference between when a quick draw benefits one person specifically because they get a norm or they get some rating versus when a quick draw just mutually benefits uh, both players. Um, it's very common like in, in tournaments when both people are happy with the draw, both people are tired, neither of them wants to play. Um, it, it is kind of weird for me the idea that they should be like forced to play like a fighting game. Um, now, it's a little bit different when it's like we're talking about top players, though, and they're playing like a high level event. There's spectators, there's commentary, you know, the organizers have invited them to play fighting chess. Mm -hmm. That's um, that's definitely. Uh, yeah, I think we should talk about that a little bit because that's that's very different. And that happens a lot. Nowadays, we have we have a lot of tournaments with like anti draw rules, um, mm -hmm. but there's also events where there's no anti-draw rules uh, like some of these online events we see like this very common like berlin draw you guys know about like queen e4 queen d4 uh repetition yeah there was that um i honestly thought this was funny there was that like grunfeld draw in the rook b1 line that ends with this queen sacrifice and it's like a repetition um that's like forced out of the opening that was happening in like multiple games. You know, they were just mm -hmm. playing the exact same game. Oh, rook g7, check rook d7, rook g7, check rook d7. <laughs> you know, that like, obviously none of the fans uh, appreciate that. I can kind of understand it from the player's perspective, especially if uh, the tournament is such that they're just trying to qualify to the next stage. And then, yeah, a draw benefits both players. Even if it's not prearranged, it's like, it makes sense for both of them in that moment to try and, and get the draw to qualify. Um, you do often see quick draws like, you know, they'll start a tournament with like a blitz event to determine the seating. And you have to finish in the top half to get an extra white in the tournament. And so towards the end of these blitz events, if the number two player in the standings is playing the number three player in the standings, a draw suits them both. And so there's very little incentive for them to fight in, in that moment. Um, so... I kind of get it from the player's point of view as well. Like you're you're playing for a living. You have a job to to do the best you can in the tournament. Obviously, you also have like a I don't know sporting obligation to the fans mm -hmm. um, for fighting chess. But it really feels like that's more up to the organizers to set a format that um, discourages that. But there and, may or may not be a format that perfectly resolves that, right? If if you only need to play the game when a winner when a win makes a difference in some kind of outside format structure. I think there is a general responsibility to chess 
and to, you know, if somebody's paying you an appearance fee, if they're, if they're fans, if there's a broadcast, you have to show the best of things to the best of your understanding, and your ability. Hmm. One thing That's I, how you grow chess. All these people talking about growing the game, right? And then they go and like play a draw yeah. like that. One thing I, I want to stress is the 30 move rule uh, came about, I want to say about 10, okay, 10, 10 years ago, I saw it more and more in tournaments. And that really does dramatically change the situation. If if you are heavy against draws, then I think you, are, you should be a, for this rule. Uh, it, it's generally only, let's say, in classy tournaments. <laughs> you generally only see it in classy. They're like uh, open tournaments. You rarely see the 30 move rule. But like a lot of the tournaments in St. Louis will have the 30 move rule. And it just drastically changes because imagine I'm playing Fed there and there's no draw until move 30. Well, we're going to suffer through 30 moves and mistakes are going to be made. Somebody's going to screw up. Somebody's going to have the better position. And then the game's going to continue. Now, maybe it'll be dead by move 30 and a draw will be made. But the chances of a draw being made are much, much lower than if you didn't have the rule. And then we're just like, well, you know, let's go home. Did you recently get mated? Well, it's time to join the Chess Dojo training program. Or maybe you just enjoy this fine content. Give us some money on the Patreon. I need to keep the lights on. And with inflation, it's really hard for Costia to be buying that avocado toast. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some things you could do. Um, for example, you could you could find players if they play this Berlin draw, just like you don't get paid for that round. <laughs> I think that's, that's pretty reasonable. Um, some asymmetrical scoring between white and black. Um, is another potential direction for mm -hmm. or it or a thing where like you turn around the board and just play another game so by by drawing with white now you have to play with black against the same opponent um or the the knockout system sometimes knockouts lead to quick draws in the first two games and then they go to the the rapid tiebreaker um mm -hmm. then generally a yeah, knockout system isn't going yeah eventually the the players have to play although the knockout system led to like one of the most egregious cases of quick draws, which was I think like the 2011 candidates that uh, that Gelfand won, where um, you had multiple players, but I think Grischuk got the most heat for it because he was just directly making draws with white, just like very early on, just trying mm -hmm. to get to the rapid tie breaks, which was completely in accordance with the tournament rules, and I think not a bad strategy. He knocked out Kramnik and Aronian in the rapid tie breaks. Um, but but obviously, yeah, they didn't play a lot of chess in the classical portion <laughs> of those matches. So, yeah, ended up having an opposite effect. Okay, cool. That was great. We didn't we didn't really let me just tell you guys to end this. David has much more fire in his belly on this issue. It's just he's living in France now, eating some of the bread. And it's a little bit not not as heated anymore. You know. I mean, well, I'll, I'll tell you this, Jesse. Anybody who got their title with yeah. draws that were under 30 moves or whatever, under yeah. 20 moves, under 10 moves, I don't consider them to have the title. I wouldn't call them grandmaster or international master okay. or whatever it might be. If they got the U.S. championship title with a short draw in the last round, I don't consider them the champion of the country, etc. So, but that's just my my personal take on it is like, that, you know, if you don't play a real game and there's... It's a sliding scale for judging that, right? Or sorry, not a sliding scale, but it's subjective to judge that, right? But if I judge that it wasn't a real game, then I judge that the result of that event doesn't stand. 
Okay, timeout, boss. So, for example, our good friend Josh Verdell. Here's a story. I remember we were. I think you were at this tournament. I know there was two I, U.S. championships. I considered whether or not this story would come up today. Oh, I want to hear this. <laughs> Buddy, I didn't even remember this it is, until you this mentioned This is brutal it. if you're going to bring it up. I didn't really want I don't, to. I don't find any problem in this story, but so maybe we'll tell the story to end the show. Okay, so the, the U.S. championship before it went to St. Louis was for two years in Oklahoma. And in one of those years, I, and I believe memory was right as David was there, and our friend Josh Fidel was playing great tournament, had a great tournament. And in the last round, he's playing Yuri Shulman. And he, Josh just needs a draw for the GM title. And Yuri just needs a draw to win the U.S. championship. <laughs> yep. Well, my friends, that game was over. what? Neither of them won their <laughs> title that day. That game was over quick. But come on, Josh is definitely a GM. Baus, you can't be no. saying he's not a GM. No, he oh, passed a chance man. to become a grandmaster. Oh, dude, that's so hard, dude. And that's Yuri so missed hard. out on the U.S. championships. <laughs> but this is, yeah. you know, this is kind of an issue that's very specific to chess. Like, it's hard to find other sports where, first of all, where the, there's draws in the first place, but where like a draw or even a prearranged result is beneficial to both parties. Like there is, there is definitely match fixing in sports, but then, you know, typically the loser isn't getting anything out of it other than, than, than money or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so this is definitely, yeah, very specific issue to chess where it's like both parties are incentivized to make a quick draw. That's actually, that's a funny case. I didn't realize that, but that's, yeah, a very common example where it's like, dude needs a GM norm. The other dude wants to win US championship. Yeah. yeah, which of them? Actually, the other thing we didn't brought up is when, uh, you know, two siblings play, right? Like the the music chick sisters, for example, right. they basically never uh, play against each other unless they absolutely have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how do you force two sisters to play and like try to kill each other in a tournament? That seems very hard to me. I think there should be some kind of option for like not playing, but not getting out anything out of not playing. You see what I mean? Like like a, a prearranged zero point draw or whatever, you know, where neither of you gets any points, but you don't have to play if you don't want to play something like that. Um, but for you to be able to get something that has sporting and, eco and economical benefits and say, that makes it hard to just say, well, you know, it was my sister or it was my buddy or it was my this or my that, you know, like, because it's it's not fair. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean I'm I'm with you. Like in a round robin event, if two players aren't playing against each other, they they do get a break, and then the other players don't. Yeah. Um, so give them an option to take a zero point draw if they don't want to play a game. That's fine. That that could be interesting. I'm sure they would play in that case. But yeah, the other thing is like all these regulations. If that was the rule, then. Of, of course, they would still prearrange the draw, right? They would just like pretend to play a real game and then it would end in a draw and and then that's that. No one would be able to, they don't even have, like, okay, some players are accused of, in that Agatha video, he was saying some players, uh, they write out the moves of the draw that they're gonna make and they come up with this like very fighting draw that they memorize ahead of time. Um, but they don't have to do that. They can just have an understanding that even if one side is better, the game is going to end in a draw, you know, one way or the other, right? They they don't have to plan out mm -hmm. all the moves. So yeah.
But I mean, just because people will still find ways to cheat doesn't mean that you don't put into place the best rules you can, right? Then at least they know they're cheating because you've said that they're not supposed <laughs> to do it. They've had to work a little bit harder to cheat, right? Like, like these people, they not only want to cheat, they don't want to sit at the board for two hours to cheat, right? They want to like hmm. be there for five minutes and go off to the bar, right? So now you force them to sit there for two hours at least, right? I mean, you're, you're just yeah. raising the cost on cheating. That's fair. Yeah, that's good. Well, that's, that's all to the good. Okay. Well, um, I think I think that was good. <laughs> all right let's end it there boom that was great guys i don't know if, i feel like we didn't really like resolve anything but you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny i forgot about the verdell story it's a very sad subject jesse brought up like i spent years working with josh and then i never got to congratulate him on becoming a grandmaster oh dude you're so hardcore man yeah what if he made another norm after that tournament? No. No, dude? No, because it's already calling yourself a GM. It's not on the line. You're not playing under pressure or stress. No. Man. That's hardcore, dude. People are asking if we've ever, we've resolved tons of stuff, like who the best players are of all time, what the best books are. <laughs> we, we come to, we come to conclusions and, and mutual, mutual agreements, tier yeah. lists. Uh, yeah, we've we've resolved tons of stuff. But today, I don't feel like no. We definitely have episodes where I, uh, let's say, get my opinion somewhat closer to David or Jesse. They they bring mm -hmm. up something I didn't really appreciate uh, as much. And for no. sure, over the years, David, I don't know if the arguments have necessarily swayed me, but like the the fact that he and others stand in judgment of me means that I'm going to like think about it more before I, you know, make some draw for sure. Yeah, dude, when I, I, I really didn't want him to know about the Fed thing. And I was like, dude, just come clean, just come clean, man. You know, mm -hmm. that, so that's good actually that I qualified for the U.S. senior, the, the tournament before, because if I hadn't, you would say I wasn't a true <laughs> You weren't, you weren't really qualifying. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Um, and I was surprised actually when Kostya. Why would of, I run towards arrows? What? When Kostya kind of ratified or even suggested, actually, we didn't even ratify. He suggested that I, you know, why not do the draw? And because I just assumed because Kostya was younger that he would share the anti draw fervor, you know? Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm more on like the side of like player rights. If you have the right to make a draw, you know, to force a player to sit at a chessboard for hours and hours, I don't mm. think that's right. <laughs> I, <don't> think that's... <laughs> I mean, then they shouldn't have signed up for a chess tournament, right? Nah, they Jesse have... and Fed, they've paid their dues. <laughs> I hear that, Bows? You hear that, buddy? They're playing in a senior <laughs> tournament. I'm sure the schedule was designed for seniors. No, it was not, dude. Seniors... And everybody else in the tournament was also a senior. So, like, get over the fact that you're tired. They're all tired, too. <laughs> Jesse was probably, like, one of the youngest spring chickens in the whole event. And he's like, oh, I was too tired. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Some 80-year-old who played for five hours while Jesse was, like, drinking in a bar. I know you don't drink. Whatever. Whatever your equivalent is.
eating a, eating a banana and watching YouTube shorts somewhere. We need we need to put this back into the podcast. We need to throw that back in because that was the fire I was expecting right there. Yeah.